0: This week on Parents are Hard to Raise. Can our words, thoughts and actions really change our physical age? Plus, a new government program promises help for aging veterans. But will this new brainstorm be the panacea they promise or just another government-engineered nightmare waiting to happen? To parents are hard to raise, helping families grow older together without losing their minds. I'm Elder Care expert Diane Barardi. So I was online the other day um, in a store and you know how they have those stupid, stupid, stupid <laughs> roped off areas where people have to stand in line and I always feel like I'm a rat in a maze, you know, in an experiment. But anyway I'm standing there and there was an older gentleman in front of me and he started talking to me. People always talk to me online. So I don't know why. They just start talking to me. So he said, Oh, um, you know, I'm, I'm burying my friend today. It's the last one of us. You know, we were four good friends. And I said, Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, he said, I have to go, you know, to, to his funeral today. And I said, Oh, I'm sorry. He said, Yes, you know, we, we were four couples that, you know, we did everything together. We traveled together. We, we, you know, ate together. We we did all these things. He said, and I'm the, you know, the last one to survive. I'm 88 years old. And I said, oh, you know, I'm really sorry. I said, but I bet you... You know, you probably have have other friends. I know those were your close friends, you know, but I bet you have other friends too. And he said, yeah, you know, there's some other guys that, you know, I play cards with or I go to the track with. He goes, but they're in their 70s, he said, and, you know, they're younger than me and they tell me, you know, we start to play cards, we start to play poker, he says, and they're going, oh, it's nine o'clock, I have to go, I have to go to bed, and he's like, why do you have to go to bed, and they say, because I'm old, I have to be in bed at nine o'clock, and he said, I want to drive to Canada, you know, I I can do it in two days, and my friend is like, we can't do that in two days, it's going to take us a week, we're old, we can't do that, we have to rest, and so I'm looking at him, and you know, he's, when he talks, when he starts talking about things he's going to do and things he can do, you know, his face was lighting up and I'm thinking, you know, that's great. I mean, he's 88 years old and he's not worried about his age. You know, he's telling me about these 70 year old friends that, you know, have this mindset that they can't do anything. And I'm thinking, you know, that is the key. It's his mind. You know, he's, he just thinks he can do whatever, whatever. And that's great. And I'm thinking about this study, you know, that was conducted in the 70s by um, Harvard social psychologist, Dr. Ellen Langer and her graduate students. It was called the counterclockwise study and they had this control group, men in their late 70s or early 80s, and they were told that they were going to attend a retreat and they were just going to spend a week reminiscing about the past. So that was the control group and then they had the experimental group where they actually redid this old monastery so they actually took them to this place and they changed everything so that their environment was like from 1959 they totally immersed them in in stuff that was 20 you know from 20 years ago and they told them that they couldn't talk about anything that happened after 1959 they had to refer to themselves their families their careers as if they were at that time they had to talk you know about things going on in that era they had magazines from that time they had old black and white television you know and they were watching the Ed Sullivan show and so before the experiment you know they assessed their strength their de- dexterity hearing vision you know their memory and then of course they checked him again after they were totally immersed in the study and So you say, well, what was the point of the study? It wasn't to live in the past, but it was to give mental signals to your body to reflect the energy and biological responses of a much younger person. So by acting as if they were in their early 50s and early 60s, these men in the experimental group, they demonstrated improvement in hearing, in eyesight, in memory, appetite dexterity they were more active some of them they used canes when they first walked into the monastery or they were they had to have their children help them walk coming into the monastery and when they were leaving they were leaving on their own strength without a cane some of them were even carrying their own suitcases so Dr. Langer Concluded, you know, we expected them to function independently. We engaged them as individuals, not as old people, as elderly people. So we gave them the opportunity to see themselves differently. They were self sufficient, they were active, they had a purpose. So this had an impact on them biologically so this counterclockwise study showed the power of possibilities that the mind can have such an impact on the body so Dr. Langer was saying well what other other possibilities are there that exist in terms of healing you know she said well what about words doctors use when talking to patients about their disease or what about language you know how important is language in the way doctors and patients talk about their health you know we we, become vulnerable to language. For instance, she points out, you know, like the word chronic in, in medical terms, you know, it's, it means uncontrollable. It means unmanageable. So when we think that we're like, well, what can we do about it? We can't control anything. So why should I try to help myself? But yet, if you say, we don't know yet how to control it. So then you It gives you the possibility you don't feel silly trying to help yourself. If you're brought up to seek certainties and, you know, you have been conditioned, words have been conditioned to lead to just one single thought, you know, if you're told in a particular way, well, that's how it is, then you just accept it. You don't question it and you give up on the control of your health. It's unbelievable when you think think about this study that she conducted. She studied mindfulness and its effect. There's her book, which I encourage you to get, Counterclockwise, Mindful Health and the Power of Possibility. And, you know, when she talks about mindful health, it's not, you know, you have to eat right and exercise. It's how we can free ourselves from our constricting mindsets. And that limits our health and well-being. You know, like this gentleman, he was saying his 70-year-old friends, well, we can't do this or that because we're old. I have to go to sleep because I'm old. You know, or, you know, you forget something and immediately you say, well, that's because I'm old. You don't look at any other possibilities or reasons that you might have forgotten something. So her research has shown, you know, how using different words or offering a small choice or making a subtle change in the physical environment can improve our health and our well-being. So small changes can make large differences. We have to open up ourselves. We have to open up to the psychology of possibility. And she writes and, and gives us so many examples in her book. Knowing what is and what can be are not the same thing. So I encourage you to read that. And it was funny how, you know, I've read about her study and, you know, it it hasn't come to me until I was talking to this gentleman and he sees the power of possibility, his mind. It's great, you know. I was visiting with my dad uh, and my mom and dad just this weekend and I can see my father, the language he's using now as opposed even to probably a few months ago, you know, he was always saying, I could do this, I can do that. He never would say, you know, this is, ah, oh, I'm I'm 90, or I'm, you know, 70, or, you know, we'd say to him, dad, you know, you really shouldn't be cutting, he has a large piece of property cutting the lawn. Why? You know, I can do it. He never would say, well, I'm approaching 90, I really can't do it. But now, you know, I see all of a sudden that He's thinking that, and he's saying that, and he's voicing that. And he suddenly, he he looks older to me, you know, and he looks not the same, not the same. So the power of the mind is something, you know, act as if. And you you've heard that probably a million times. I also got a call the other day from a daughter, and she was concerned about her parents' behavior when they come to visit her. You know, they come for two weeks um, every June to visit her. They fly there and they come, and they live in another state, so I'm like, well, well, that's great. They get on an airplane and they come, you know, to see you. And, you know, her parents are are in, she told me, their 80s. and she thinks when they come, they should be more engaged and wanna do things that, you know, she decides they should do. And we don't think about it, but, you know, we kinda plan, you know, if your parent's coming to visit or, you know, like her, you know, well, she hasn't seen, they haven't seen, you know, their grandkids in a while, so, We want to take you to pick them up and drop them off at school. We want to take you to every, you know, sports event they have. We want to go to museums. We want to do this. We want to take you places we think you want to go or things you want to do. And we sometimes don't ask them what they want to do. We just kind of plan for them. And, you know, she was saying to me, well, they just want to sit and watch television. And they don't want to go out to dinner with my friends or, you know, do things that we want them to do. And when we come back, I'll tell you what I told her. I want to tell you about my friend Katie. Katie is a nurse, and she was attacked on her way home from work. She was totally taken by surprise. And although Katie is only 5 feet tall and 106 pounds, she was easily able to drop her 6-foot-4, 250-pound attacker to his knees and get away unharmed. Katie wasn't just lucky that day she was prepared. In her pocketbook, a harmless-looking lipstick, which really contained a powerful, man-stopping aerosol propellant. It's not like it was in our grandmother's day. Today, just going to and from work or to the mall can have tragic consequences. The FBI says a violent crime is committed every 15 seconds in the United States, and a forcible rape happens every five minutes. And chances are, when something happens, no one will be around to help. It looks just like a lipstick, so no one will suspect a thing, which is important since experts say getting the jump on your attacker is all about the element of surprise. Inside this innocent-looking lipstick is the same powerful stuff used by police and the military to disarm even the most powerful armed aggressor. In fact, National Park Rangers use the very same formula that's inside this little lipstick to stop 2,000-pound vicious grizzly bears dead in their tracks. It's like carrying a personal bodyguard with you, in your purse or your pocket. Darkness brings danger. Muggers and rapists use darkness to their advantage. We all know what it's like to be walking at night and hear footsteps coming at us from behind. Who's there? If it's somebody bad, will you be protected? Your life may depend on it. My friend Katie's close call needs to be a wake up call for all of us, myself included. Pick up a lipstick bodyguard and keep it with you always. Were you ever young? You're listening to Parents Are Hard to Raise. Now, thanks to you, the number one elder care talk show on planet Earth. Listen to this and other episodes on iTunes, Google Play and On Demand using the iHeartRadio app. want to thank you so much for sending in your emails and your questions and even your words of encouragement how much you like the show. We've been growing by leaps and bounds and that's all due to you and thank you so much. Please keep sending in your questions. I try to get to as many as I can and I promise I'll keep doing that and I'll try to get to your question. And please tell someone about the show because I, I would imagine we're all in this together. we're all children of aging parents, and we can help each other there's always someone who you know ha- could use the information so please tell someone else about the show. Thanks so much and I want to go back to the story about the um, call I got the other day about this woman concerned that when her parents come to visit, you know they don't want to do things that you know her family has planned and you know what I said to her was um you know we kind of have to ask our parents well what would you like to do maybe they just want to sit and you know maybe they don't want to take a ride every morning or every afternoon to the school to pick up the kids or maybe they don't want to you know sit in a crowd at a sports event, or in the sun, or, you know, the cold, or whatever. Maybe they just, you know, don't feel comfortable doing that, or just don't want to do that for whatever reason. So we kind of, you know, have to just ask them, and I'm sure they'll tell you, or maybe they just like to sit, maybe they're, they just like to do the same things that they do at home, and there's nothing wrong with that, except, you know, when they come to visit you, they have you guys around, and maybe they would just like everybody to sit with them, and, You know, maybe they want to watch television altogether. Maybe they enjoy that. You know, not everybody likes to do the same things. And just because they don't want to, it doesn't mean, you know, you have to be concerned about them. You have to be worried about them. Ask them what they want to do. And I'm sure they'll tell you, you know, just say, geez, what would you like to do? You know, we have the park here or museums or we can go to, you know, Johnny's baseball game or something. And leave the choice up to them. You know, people. She also mentioned to me. She says, "You know, they're fixated on the past. You know, they they just talk about the past. And you know, I want them to not do that. And 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 you know, make new friends. Or you know, some of their friends have passed away, and so maybe you know, I want to encourage them to make new friends. Well, you know, sometimes." people talk about the past for different reasons maybe their present is uneventful but maybe they want it that way you know we we kind of think well they got to have you know they got to be doing things and maybe they don't want to you know choosing not to do something maybe sitting and reading a book well that's choosing to do something so you know sometimes it's not what they remember but you know or what they talk about but why you know maybe they they're talking about a happier time or you know when when they have like the gentleman I was telling you about you know well we were four couples and we did this and he was reminiscing about that because you know his wife was alive and all his friends were alive so we can't get you know focused on they're not doing everything we want them to do. And, you know, if your parents are like mine, they're not going to tell you, you know, wow, ah, we don't want to do that. They're just going to go along with it. But, you know, you want to make that visit happy for everybody. And, you know, you want to do things together. So everybody has a, a good, a good time. And, you know, like I said to that gentleman when I was online with him, I said, "Well, I'm sure you have other friends, you know." And he ha- he did. Now maybe your parents, you know, maybe they don't have any other friends. And I know you want to encourage them, and you know, you can suggest things, you know. Wow, um, especially you know, they're in a retirement community, or maybe to volunteer, you know, things where they can meet other people. But you you can't force them to do it. But you can just suggest and. Maybe when you go visit them, you know, you can say, "Well, gee, what do you want to do?" And maybe they'll do something where you can take them somewhere where they have the opportunity to meet other people. You know, volunteering is a uh, great—it's a great thing. We talk about that all the time. I was talking to a gentleman the other day, and he volunteers in uh, in a hospital in um, the pediatric unit, and he. They, he goes into the unit and they take babies and he holds the babies and he talks to them. And that's how he volunteers. It's a wonderful thing, you know. So, and who, who would think of that? You know, so sometimes we only think about volunteering as, you know, being a Walmart reader or something. Or I guess you get paid for that. But anyway, you know, volunteering, I don't know, to go give out, you know, magazines in a hospital or something. And maybe that's not for your parent. But there's so many things, so many ways to volunteer here Um, so don't worry about it you know and just ask them what would they like to do there's nothing wrong with that I get a lot of calls from veterans families who are on waiting list to get care provided to them in the in their homes and I know one of um, a county agency that I, I work with in the area that I'm in you know they have they get faxes and faxes and faxes of veteran uh, patients that need care in their homes and they just can't provide the care and you know there's there you'll hear I'm sure wherever you are uh, in in the U.S. there's a national shortage of home care workers of home health aides Um, and you know people people are not uh, going to be home health aides why well you know it's it's very hard. It's hard work. It's not a lot of pay, and it's, uh, you know, you're you're going into pe- people's homes, and you're taking care of people, and you know, you have training. You have somebody telling you what to do. You have to deal with all uncertainty. You have to come go into a home. You don't know sometimes, you know, what you're going into, and you know. Today, there's so many different fields you can go into so many different things you can do. you know when you're a home health aide you're driving from house to house you know sometimes you're giving six showers a day doing things so there is a, there is a shortage of people going into the field um, I know with you know Medicaid with veterans you know the the reimbursement rates instead of going up they're going down so you know, how does a service then pay their employees? How do they cover them for all the things that they need to be covered for? So it's a, a, it's a difficult situation. They The VA has um, turned to foster care for veterans. Um, it, it's just a different avenue instead of putting them in nursing homes. So what they do is, you know, if you qualify, there's what's called the Medical Foster Home Program. Um, and it provides housing and care for veterans you know instead of going into a nursing home for people who they can't live safely on their own the veteran though has to pay the caregiver so they say it's about you know between fifteen hundred to three thousand dollars a month depending on the location so it's saving the government about ten thousand dollars a month because they're not paying for nursing home care but It's kind of a a difficult thing to scale up because the VA accepts only foster homes that, of course, meet strict qualifications. So for the veteran, they say it's a chance to live in a home setting with people who treat them like family. Now, the VA kind of, you know, they meet their obligation to care for veterans, and it's at a reduced cost. Because the veteran is paying room and board directly to the caregiver. The VA can't pay for it directly because it's not institutional care. So, you know, foster homes, there's all kinds of problems, you know, with foster homes. I mean, you hear all kinds of horror stories. I haven't heard any horror stories with this medical foster home program yet, but it's fairly new they have right now about 700 licensed caregivers who you know have these um that you can have I think up to 3 veterans and provide but you have to pro- provide round the clock supervision and care according to the VA so um you can uh, you can't work outside the home, so you have to be there, you know, to live in, and you have to tend to the person's needs 24-7. If, you know, let's say you have to go out, then you can supply relief staff so that you can, you know, go somewhere, etc. Now, the VA... Um, Of course, they say, okay, the foster home, the people have to pass a federal background check. They have to complete 80 hours of training before they can accept patients. They have to have 20 hours of additional training each year, and they have to allow the VA to make announced and unannounced home visits. Again, I said, you know, they can't work outside the home. They have to be certified and maintain that in first aid, CPR, and medicine administration so you know it's it sounds like a great program. i haven't i just i'm a little leery, but you know what do we hear? We hear horror stories about nursing homes about v a care you know these people aren't are not able to get care in the homes like they need so what do you think you know in in and, in, in, you know, when you look at it, it's like, oh my gosh, this person, maybe they they live alone, you know, and they can't take care of themselves, so they'd have to go into a nursing home. Here, okay, if they get into, you know, they, they, they get into a home, they can feel like, wow, they live in a home with family. So, how do they have to qualify? Well, of course, the veteran has to be enrolled in, in VA healthcare. They have to have a serious chronic disabling medical condition that would say you know they 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 require nursing home level of care so um what do you think email me on what you think about this i'm i'm kind of hmm i'm not sure like i said i i i'm reserving my full opinion until i hear more more about it more stories you know this is a great idea but i've seen government great ideas that it sounds great on paper, and it, 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 it looks like, wow, this is going to be good. And then it, you know, it just, I don't know, you know, it's kind of scary. I mean, you know, you hear all kinds of things, nursing homes, the care in VA hospitals. You know, I remember going and seeing my uncle. He was in a VA hospital, a nursing home, excuse me. And, oh my gosh, you know, he was just sitting there, um... All by himself, you know, nobody was talking to him, nobody was there feeding him, you know. So, and I don't know, I'd like to hear your opinion on this. They're, they're saying that um, the VA is actively promoting this program. Yeah, because what do we do? You know, there's veterans that we have to take care of. What do we do? So, I'd like to hear your opinion. I hope this episode gave you some insight into something you're dealing with. Remember, the very best conversations happen at parentsarehearttoraised.org. So please keep emailing your questions, because remember, your story can help someone else. If you found something helpful in this episode, episode 63, please subscribe to our show on iTunes or iHeartRadio. And I'd be so grateful if you'd share this episode with your family and friends. Parents Are Hard to Raise is a CounterThink Media production. The music used in this broadcast was managed by Cosmo Music, New York, New York, under License of Broadcast Music Incorporated. Thank you so much for listening. I look forward to reading your comments and can't wait till we meet up again on the next episode of Parents Are Hard to Raise. Till then, may you forget everything you don't want to remember and remember everything you don't want to forget. See you again next week.